Hey, thanks so much for joining us on our channel today. We want to encourage you to subscribe and like today's video. Also, today's word is brought to you by our truth partners. These are people who want to financially invest to help us get this message of truth to around the nation and around the world. You can become a truth partner today by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give. Again, thank you for partnering with us on this message of truth. And thank you for liking and subscribing to today's video. God bless you. I pray this sermon blesses your life. So God began to deal with me um, several months ago. And um, I've had so many people come up to me over the last, last several months. Like, Pastor, are you okay? Is anything wrong? Or, you know, and I'm like, no, everything's great. You know, God's just doing a work in my life. And I've gone over the last several months, I have gone through a lot of deep repentance with, between me and Jesus. Um, and I've just been with the Lord in a lot of repentance with, with God. And, uh, and it has developed in me more than ever a fear of the Lord. 186 times in the Bible, it says that we ought to fear the Lord. And it's driven me to evaluate and question everything we do as a family, um, everything that we do as a church. And um, it's driven me to search out men and women of old and men and women currently that God is speaking through and to Search where is God moving in the earth? How many, of you, how many of you want to be a part of what God's doing in the earth today? I want to be a part of that. Proverbs 1 and 7 says, the fear of the Lord. Everybody say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so I've been getting up every day for several months and spending anywhere from two, three, sometimes four hours with Jesus. And I'm 44 years old and I've been pastoring this church 20 years this November and I have never spent time with Jesus like I am now. Did I have a prayer life? Yes. Did I have some fear of the Lord? Yes, but not like this. And I, I don't know, maybe I should be embarrassed about that. Maybe I should be ashamed or maybe you don't respect me. But the one thing that has happened to me over the last several months is um, I've lost something. And what I've lost is my fear of man. I don't have a fear of man anymore. And what we are committing to do as a church is to build, we're called Creative Church. And so what we're gonna do is create a space for Jesus and we're going to invite you to come rather than creating a space for you and inviting him to come we are going to make him the priority more than ever before over people what does that mean we're going to figure it out but I think we're gonna be, I think he's gonna get rid of a lot of things. He's been doing that in my life. He's like, we're gonna get rid of that. You don't need to do this and we're done with that. And I'm like, well, what's left? He's like, me. Amen. Me. 
If you were to look at a treasure map, he is the X on the map. He is the treasure. He is the darling of heaven. Jesus is the subject of heaven. He's the darling. It's all about Jesus. Hey, I just want to take a moment and let you know that today's sermon is brought to you by our truth partners. If you're interested in being a truth partner, simply go to creativechurch.com slash give and select truth partners today. Again, please subscribe and like today's video. It's blessing you. It's blessing your family. And hey, let's get back to the word. People come and people go, but the word of the Lord will remain the same. And I think the question that God asked me that he's asking all of us today is, am I valuable enough for them to want me to be here? That's the question I felt like the Lord was asking me is, am I valuable enough for them to want me in their marriage? Am I valuable enough to them that they would want me in their finances? Am I valuable enough to them that they would want me in their parenting? because our act, their actions don't always say that I'm valuable enough. Am I valuable enough? And our mandate is to live with the presence of God and to move in one accord. Isaiah 26 and three says, I will keep them in perfect peace. How many of you wanna sleep at night? How many of you want to sleep at night? This comes by spending time with Jesus. So you don't have to drug yourself to sleep. You sleep when you have peace. Perfect peace. Perfect peace. I will give them perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Jesus. That Jesus is jealous of your thoughts. that he wants to show us a part of him that he does not show the masses. And it's changing my life. I'm a different father when I spend time with Jesus. I'm a different husband. And when I, when I spend two to three hours with the Lord, I'm different. And when I don't do that, I'm not like Jesus. I'm like me. And me gets anxious and driven and annoyed and rude and pushy and restless and I'm not contented. That's what me is. Me snaps at my wife or my children. And when I spend time with Jesus, you become like who you spend time and you develop the accent of heaven. And he fills your life with compassion. And compassion knows all the answers.
and to be a father or a husband or pastor or a CEO or business leader who fears the Lord is different. David sums it up in David's final words. Final words are very important. If you've ever had a loved one gone on to be with the Lord, you can remember the last things they ever said to you. David's final words to all of us are recorded in 2 Samuel 23, verses 3 and 4. He says, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he says, a leader that, that, that leads in the fear of God, this is what it's like. It's like light of the morning when the sun rises. And it's like a morning with no clouds. Now, come on, Minnesota. All of you know what it's like to wake up and see the gray dome. Come on, am I right about it? And don't you know what it's like to wake up and see the sun? And you go, oh my gosh, look at the sun's out. That's what it's like when you have a leader that fears the Lord. It's like waking up to sunshine. When you're a father that fears the Lord, your wife wakes up to sunshine and not gloom. Your children wake up to sunshine and not moodiness. He says it's like the sun shining without the clouds. And it's like grass after the rain. All the dryness goes away. This is what it's like to fear Jesus. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger for his presence. And most people miss their experience with the Lord because they don't think they need one. Do you know when people come to church and they miss a move of God because they don't think they need a move of God? It's called pride. And Psalm 68 and 6 says, The rebellious dwell in a dry land. Anyone in the room right now that has a rebellious spirit is dry. Your marriage is dry. Your walk with Jesus is dry. And the enemy is attracted to dryness. The Bible says when an evil spirit comes out of a man, actually Jesus said when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through dry places. People who are dry don't get baptized because demons can't swim. They drown. And we're going to be intentional to create a space for Jesus. This is not about filling seats. This is about, it's not about putting a person in every seat. It's about putting one person in this entire room, and his name is Jesus. And we know in Minnesota, when the seasons change, we feel the wind blow. And we wake up. Come on, Minnesota. You open your door one day and you feel the wind change and you go, summer is over. 
Am I right? And I'm shocked how many parents say, you know, I want my kids filled with the Holy Spirit, but do you spend time with Jesus? Can you get in the presence of Jesus for your children? When you get your kids in the presence of God, it rewires them. It just rewires them. And you need an anointing to raise your children. And you get an anointing by one, developing a history with God, winning battles in private when no one is watching, and going through things that try to kill you and destroy you. And when they don't kill you and destroy you, God gives you an authority and an anointing in that area of your life. So when I have a child like Nicholas and he's 14, and if he's looking back at me like I'm invisible when I'm trying to talk to him. If I don't have an anointing, my words that I send into him don't change his heart. Because an anointing makes your words effective. So then as a parent, I get angry. I start yelling at him. I start doing all this stuff. This is what happens in ministry. Pastors do this all the time. When they talk to the people, if they haven't spent time with Jesus, then what they say doesn't touch the heart of the people. So then they get mad, they get angry, they start yelling at the sheep. Because you have to spend time with Jesus to be anointed. So if you have a child and your words are not effective, spending time with Jesus gives you an anointing to raise that child. You need an anointing to be married to your wife. You need an anointing to be married to your husband. And your anger is because you are not spending time with Jesus, so your words are of no effect. And yelling at them is not going to make them change. So instead of yelling at your wife, or your husband or your children how about you go get in the presence of Jesus and say God I cannot do this without you and can you give me the words that I need to say that would pierce the darkness to change the life of the person I love so they would fall in love with you this is the cost of the oil and it does not go on sale you have to pay the price for the oil it costs what it costs and it's not going on sale this is the price of the anointing and when you spend time with Jesus he frees you of all of the guilt and the anxiety and the depression and the fear that you carry. When you sin, when you sin, Satan pays you. How many of you have a job and you earn a wage, right? When you sin, you also earn a wage. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And when you sin, Satan doesn't wait two weeks to pay you. He has a direct deposit to your soul. 
and he pays you instantly. As soon as you sin, he pays you with shame, guilt, condemnation. He pays you and you, you carry it. You got this huge paycheck that you earned. And it says the wages of sin is death. And watch the people who are carrying around their sinful wage. They look like they're at a funeral. But the gift of God, am I boring you? The gift of God is exactly what it is. It's a gift. But the deceit of the enemy is to make you think you work at salvation and sin is free. That's why you say, when it comes to things of God, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I got to work at it. I got to work at it. I got to work at it. I'm working. I got I to get it. You, th- you're, you are believing the lie of Satan is to think the things of God are labor and sin is free. No, you labor at sin. You, you earn a wage at sin. But the gift of God is eternal life. So if a man is hooked on porn, you don't get free from porn by saying, I got to stop watching porn. God, help me stop watching porn. You get free from porn by just spending time with Jesus. And Jesus says, take my hand and we'll never go there. That's why none of you are struggling with pornography right now while I'm talking to you because you're in the presence of Jesus. And the same way you don't struggle with it now, you won't struggle with it tonight or tomorrow if you spend time with Jesus. But if it's a Sunday thing, now you are practicing religion. And the best place to raise an atheist is a religious home. So you go to God and you say, God, deal with me. And you go through repentance. And I'm going to walk you through that in just a moment. Pastoring people who don't have a prayer life is exhausting. And it makes you want to quit. That's why 1,500 pastors quit the ministry every month in America. Because dealing with thousands of people's flesh and offense and drama is annoying. And no amount of money or anything is worth it. But when people go to Jesus and they give their offense to Jesus and they let their flesh be crucified on the cross and they just die and they say, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Now they become a joy. So you have to go to Jesus. And so you've got to figure out how much time do I have to spend with Jesus to be like Jesus? All of it. Well, how am I going to do that and go to work? You take Jesus to work with you. How am I going to do that and go to the play sports? You take Jesus to play sports. And there'll be certain places that Jesus will say, we're not going there. Or we're not doing that. Or we're not going to have that person in our life anymore. And we're not doing this thing or that anymore because he changes you. And all of a sudden, you become like Jesus. And you begin to access the presence of God. And he changes you. And when you don't do this and you're hard-headed and you're self-willed, the storms of life will kill you. Put up my verse. I think it's Psalms 81. 
for stubbornness. The Lord said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have nothing to do with me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. When God comes to you and tells you to change and you refuse to listen, God says, fine, I'll make it where you won't be able to change. The judgment of God is that God lets you listen to your own advice. When you look at people out here in Pride Month that we're dealing with, this arrogant pride in 2 Timothy, it says in the last days they will strut around in their arrogant pride. They will, def they will deny all forms of decency, sexual immorality, homosexuality, all of that. When you see that, that is the judgment of God. And you look at people and go, how can you even think that? What is, what is, that doesn't even make sense. And they are completely under judgment and God has turned them over to themselves and they listen to their own counsel. And there's nothing you can do because those people are under the judgment of God. And what it takes is it takes the Holy Spirit to touch the heart and change the life and allow them to see what they thought was crazy is actually real, that they need Jesus. So when God comes to you, don't play hard to get with him. The worst thing God can do to you is turn you over to yourself. You don't want to listen. You don't want to change. Fine, I'll fix it where you can't change. And I'll allow you to believe a lie. You look at people and they talk about two plus two equals cat. And they're like, yeah, it's cat. And you're like, what are you talking about? And they're just completely, they believe their own counsel. They're not kidding. They believe it. That person believes that. And they are deceived. I'd rather be turned over to my enemies than turned over to myself. Because none of your enemies can hurt you like you hurt yourself. And the Lord started to get a hold of me. The Lord was dealing with me on this actually about a few years ago. I started seeing 9-11 um, everywhere. Everywhere I went, I'd see 9-1-1, 9-1-1, And it started to freak me out. I told, I told Joanne, and she's like, what do you think it means? I said, I don't know what it means. I said, I've been asking God. I don't, I'm, you know, I, I looked, I'm, I, I don't know. We would go to a hotel, the room would be 9-11. My Delta SkyMiles number ends in 9-11. I started preaching the first service today. By the time I got the mic and I opened up the service, it was 9-11. It was so many things in my life. And it started, I was like, okay, God, what is it? And the Lord spoke to me. It was just a few months ago, about four months into this, the Lord spoke to me. And he took me to Acts 9. And I had read that. I had actually read it on Easter because he, he brought me that 
on Easter, and I changed the whole service. I don't know if you guys remember. I changed it. We were doing Chosen. I changed the whole thing, and I preached this text. And the Lord brought it back to me a few months ago, and he said, read this again. And I read it again, and it was Paul, and Paul had been blinded by the Lord, and he was in the house, and he'd had a vision, and it was, it's Acts 9-11, and it says, behold, he prayeth. And when the Lord, when I read that, the Lord spoke to me and said, I am calling you and the church to prayer. That's what he told me. And I apologize, I'm a slow learner. Maybe y'all are better than me. I'm just, I'm just a slow learner. And he called me to prayer and I have been doing this and it's completely changed my life. And I'm gonna walk you through it. So I get up in the morning and sometimes I have to pray myself out of bed. I do. I'm not kidding with you. I have to pray myself out of bed. And I get up and I go. I go into the living room. I grab my tissues. I put on my headphones. I grab my tabernacle prayer and my Bible. I throw a blanket over top of me. And I get down on the couch and I say, I'm here. My first appointment is at 5 a.m. Sometimes it's 4, sometimes it's 6. But that's my first appointment. My first appointment is not for money or business. My first appointment of the day is with Jesus. And I do it so early so that I'm not rushed. Because I don't want to have to end the meeting with him early to go do something else. That's my first meeting of the day. And then I spend about 45 minutes to an hour with him just praying in the Holy Spirit and worshiping and weeping. And then I go through the tabernacle prayer that I'm going to give you today. And then I go into the things that I'm believing him to do. And then I'll read some scripture and things like that that he shows me. And that is changing my life. And so um, I, I had him give you this tabernacle prayer and I didn't come up with this. This is a biblical pattern of prayer, and I'm gonna take several weeks to talk to you about the tabernacle prayer. Many of you are like, what's the tabernacle? I don't even understand what that is. It's the Old Testament tabernacle right there. This was how they approached the presence of God. And God gave them this plan of how to approach him, and this is a prayer plan to approach Jesus. I actually didn't come up with this prayer that you're reading. Dr. Cho of South Korea came up with it. It was the largest church on earth. He's actually gone on to be with the Lord now. And my uncle had a huge part in helping me do this. So um, several months ago, I was with my uncle, Uncle Cass, from the Bahamas. And the Lord had gotten a hold of him. And he had done this several years ago. And the Lord had rekindled this. And he was talking to me about it. He was trying to talk to me about it. And I'll be honest with you, when he started talking to me about it, I was kind of resistant. And I was like, you know, I have a prayer life, and yeah, we, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I want to talk to you about it. And I was a little resistant to it. And it was my flesh. And while I'm talking to some of you, some of you may be doing the same thing. You may be resistant to what I'm saying. And what happened was I was with him long enough that I started seeing, I've known him all my life, and I started seeing a, this huge change in him. I've known, I know my uncle. And I started to see this huge change in him. And then I started seeing God do like miracles in his life. Well, I'm no fool. 
you know? So I'm like, what is going on over here? You know, the best way to make somebody hungry is to let them watch you eat. And so I started saying, what is going on over here? What you eating? What's going on over here? And he said, I was wanting to talk. This is what I was wanting to talk to you about. And so he began to, my heart now was open. He began to reveal this to me. And so what I did was I started doing this and it changed my life. And I've, I've been doing this now for several months. My staff's been doing it since March. And it is, it is completely changing them. And doing ministry with people as the priority is exhausting. It destroys your health. It'll destroy marriages, relationships. Doing, doing anything with people first is horrific. It has to be him first. So I have resigned from church growth. I am no longer doing it. It is his job. So we decided to not take his job from him. He said he would build his church. So it's not my, I'm not calling you this week and telling you to come next Sunday. I'm not going to call you and ask you to give. I'm not going to call and ask you to serve. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to touch your heart to love Jesus. So you tithe because you love Jesus. You serve because you love Jesus. You come because you love Jesus. Not because of me. Praise the Lord. And so we went into this and I'm just going to walk you through this, and then I'm going to take several weeks to really help you understand this. So I want you to be patient with me because I can't explain seven months in 45 minutes, okay? But rather, let me have your tabernacle. Give your, who's that tabernacle prayer book on them? There, okay. So I want you to grab this with me. And so the tabernacle, it starts with the gate, okay? It starts with the gate. And... This is the entrance into the tabernacle. And everything about this represents Christ that I'll explain to you over several weeks, okay? But the very first sentence, it just says, Father, I desire to pray today. You've got to go to God and say, God, put in me a desire. Now, as you begin to pray, you're going to get more of a desire. It's like working out. As you work out, you're going to get more of a desire to work out. Now, let me say something about this. In me, in me no longer focusing on growing this church, okay? Some things are gonna change. And as we change them, we are not changing them with you in mind. We're changing them with him in mind. So we're gonna, I'm gonna change service times at some point because the parking, to create space for God to move. People are like, well, you know, I've done church growth strategies and I've, I've taught them, I've read every book on church growth, all that kind of stuff, and people say, well, you know, studies say people won't sing more than 17 minutes if you want them to come back. That's what the studies say. That's what they tell us. If you read church growth books, they'll tell you people statistically will not stand and sing more than 17 minutes. Well, these people are gonna hate heaven. They're gonna hate heaven. There's way more worship in heaven than preaching. And, and they, and it's really, studies say, studies say, well, the studies, you know what the studies put in pastors? A fear of man. 
That's what studies do. They put in us a fear of man to think if we sing longer than 17 minutes, visitors won't come. Or if we don't have donuts, visitors won't come. I think visitors would rather have deliverance than donuts. That's what I think. I think they'd rather have a miracle than a muffin. And I, I'm no idiot. I've read it all. I've, been to, I've done all the classes. I understand what I'm talking about. But studies say, who are these people that decide what people want from Jesus? Worship softens the soil of your heart to allow the seed of the Holy Spirit to take root in there. There's a million churches all over the Twin Cities that you could go to that'll give you 10-minute worship, 15-minute worship, and they'll run you in and run you out. But what we're doing is not for you. It's for Jesus. And we just invited you to come. And maybe you come and maybe you don't. But I would rather have a maybe with you than a maybe with him. I'd rather build a place for him, a place that he feels comfortable to come. I remember going to somebody's house years ago and I went to their house. And when I walked in their house, I could tell instantly that everybody, that everything in the house was picked out by a skinny person. that somebody who weighed like 80 pounds had picked all the furniture. And when I looked at the chair that they wanted me to sit in, I thought to myself, this chair is not going to hold, hold my weight. And I, I never went back to their house. And the Lord reminded me of that story because I felt, I think God's looking for a church that's willing to pay the price to hold the weight of his glory. That he would feel comfortable. You know, you know what it's like? It's like, Brian, it's like, I felt like God was telling me, I don't know, I don't know if I can trust creative with my presence. How many of you have ever gotten close to somebody and then they pulled away from you? And you just felt like, man, why'd they pull away from me? And now, now you're hesitant to give your heart again. See, God is a person. And when you get close to him and then you pull away and you get close to him and then you pull away and you just think you can turn on his presence like a light switch, he does not trust you with his presence. I'm not saying he doesn't love you. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about you. I'm saying there's a difference between God loves you, God loves everybody. But I'm saying there's a difference between his presence and his glory. And there's certain people, there's certain people in, the, in, the, in this room that I've known a long time that I'll go swimming with. And I'll take my shirt off and go swimming. I ain't doing that with y'all. 
Do you know why? Because I trust them. There are certain levels of God that God will show you his glory, but he will only show you when he can trust you. That if I, if I enter into this relationship with you, will you leave me? Are you, are you, are you and I close or, or, or are you just in this for what you can get out of me? And over and over you see that in the Bible. Remember when Jesus healed the lepers and, and he sent them away to go show themselves to the priest, but one came back? And he must have thought, he must have in his heart hoped all of them would come back, but only one came back. But the reason we know he was hoping all of them is because he said, where are the other nine? That when he healed the blind man, he said, you can go. You see, you thought he healed the blind man so that the blind man could see Jesus, but Jesus really healed the blind man so that Jesus could see him. Because Jesus said, okay, now that you're healed, now that you have gotten what you want out of the relationship, will you go or will you follow? Because Jesus told him to leave, but the Bible says he followed Jesus in the way. That once you get what you want out of this, will you leave me? Can God trust your, your family with his presence? Do you, make, do you make space in the evening for God? Would you create a chair that he could sit in? Would you do that? Would you create a place for him in the morning to say, God, I've created space for you in my life. I created a space for you. Not just as my church created space, but I've created a space for you in my family, in my home. You know, you make space for work. During COVID, you remodeled homes and put big monitors and cameras and Zoom and all that. You made space for what you thought was important to you. So are you willing to get up to pray? If I told you, hey, tomorrow morning, 5 a.m., I got 10 grand for you, would you be here? So you're motivated by money. Money moves you. So who's your God? Who's your God? So this tabernacle prayer starts by saying, God, I desire to pray. I cry out for more anointing today. Anoint me. Only through your anointing can I carry out my work according to your will for my life. Only through the anointing can you be a parent. Only through the anointing can you be a husband, a wife, a business leader, whatever that God's called you to be, only through the anointing. Then you go to the brazen altar. Everybody say brazen altar. The brazen altar is the cross. This is where you declare healing over your body. Sickness is illegal in my body because of the cross. I love what it says here. I will not accept the devil's messages sent to me today. My mind is no longer victimized by the devil's lies. I am no longer, my mind is not a playground for the enemy's lies. I am through being victimized. I am through living in fear. I am through living in shame and guilt. I'm through with that. I will not be victimized by Satan's lies. And you pray through the cross. You start by praying through the cross. Then you go to the laver. Everybody say the laver. 
The labor is repentance. This is repentance. Notice we haven't asked God for anything yet. We're already an hour in, at least. This is repentance. This is, and this is the basic. This is Ten Commandments. If you can't pull your phone out right now and write down the Ten Commandments, if you can't pull a sheet of paper out and write down the Ten Commandments, you're definitely not praying them. So let's look at them. Number one, do I worship any other gods? Do I put myself or self-worship ahead of worshiping Jesus? There's only one God and three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, forgive me for dishonoring you by entertaining other gods. Forgive me. The second one, do I bow to idols? Have I placed my role as a husband, father, career person, head of my role as a priest unto the Lord? Am I giving the first fruits of my day to something else? Am I worshiping graven images of money or power? Forgive me for dishonoring you. If you don't give God the first of your day, something is broken in your life. You're a believer. You're a believer. You're a child of God. How can, your first, how can the first of your day go to money? And whatever you give the first of your day to, typically idols want your first and last. They want, a, they want that space in your life. Idols want your first and last. So you say, God, I'm not doing that anymore. You're first. I'm tired. Well, you've gone to work tired. You serve that God tired. Oh, bless God, I'm tired, but I got to go serve this God. Raise your hand if you've gone to work tired. All right, well, then you can pray tired. I got eight kids. I'm down to put my tired up against anybody else's tired in here. Three, do I call the name of the Lord in vain? Four, do I honor God by keeping the Sabbath? Am I bringing my tithe and keeping the Sabbath before expecting blessing from the Lord? Hebrews 10.25 says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Do I put God first? Today is the first of the week. Do I, do I honor God in worship? God, I am putting you first. I believe that God can do more with six days than everybody else can do with seven. Yeah, Chick-fil-A believes it. They do more money in six days than the other did in seven. If God can bless them, he can bless anybody. He can bless me. If he can bless a chicken sandwich, he can bless you. If Jesus can bless nuggets, he can bless you. Come on, somebody. Don't act like y'all ain't driven by Chick-fil-A on Sunday. <laughs> Are you honoring God in your tithe? Listen to me. Because some of y'all, you, you give God, you know what your tithe is, but you don't give it to him. You give God a portion of it. 50% of it, 20% of it, 80% of it. Or you tip the Lord. So God was a good God this week, so you give him a bigger tip. He wasn't that good, you didn't give him a tip. That's not putting God first. The Bible says God will cut holes in your pockets. And, and you lose it. Let me tell you something about tithing. Nobody gets to keep it. You bring it, 
or you lose it. It's not in your checking account or savings account. You bring it to God or you lose it. I've been doing it 20 years. I'm telling you what I know. And the people who tithe are blessed. And the people who don't always say they can't afford to. I've been doing it 20 years. I know what I'm talking about. And you're in a church. I have not talked on giving once all year. Not one sermon on tithing have I preached this whole year. And I don't even take up offerings where I just say, I want to thank you for giving. But I'm telling you, put God first. And so you got to go to God and say, God, forgive me. Do I honor my parents? Number five, do I honor my parents or do I blame my parents for my problems? Blaming my parents. Come on. I got my kids praying this. Up. Come on, you get them up for everything else. Woo, Jesus. You get them up for everything else. You get them up for games. You get them up for, for whatever else you get them up for. Get them up for prayer. Get them a relationship with Jesus. It'll save you some heartache, tears, and pain. Six, do I kill by hating? I forgive others. I release all offense. Everybody say that. I forgive others. I release all offense. Can you imagine if you were praying? You'd be a different, you would be a different mother. If you forgave everybody every day and you got rid of offense every day, you would not be a bitter person. Bitterness is a cancer. And cancer doesn't stay where it starts. Seven, do I commit adultery? Am I entertaining lustful thoughts? Forgive me for dishonoring you by being sexually impure. Am I looking at things I shouldn't look at? Am I doing things I shouldn't be doing? God, forgive me. Am I stealing from you, Lord, or anyone? Am I squandering or misusing the gifts that God gave you? God didn't give you gifts and talents for you to look good. Serve the Lord. What you are doing now in the kingdom is determining what you will be doing for eternity in the kingdom. Guess what you're going to do when you get to heaven? Serve. You're not on a cloud with a harp. You're going to be serving Jesus. The Bible says in heaven, every pot and pan shall be holy. What do we need pots and pans for if people aren't cooking? There's going to be gardeners in heaven. There's going to be people cooking in heaven. There's going to be people ruling in heaven. And you're like, well, I don't want to serve now. Well, you're going to have a hard time. And there's not just, there's those, there are those that serve and then there are those that will be a part of the bride. The bride. Everybody who goes to heaven is not going to be a part of the bride. Because Jesus is not going to marry somebody he doesn't know. And there are people that just, there are, there are a large amount of people who just don't want to go to hell. They don't want to know God. They don't want to pray. They don't want to serve God. They don't want to be in God's house. I just don't want to go to hell. 
And then there are people that want to know him. Those are the people that are going to be a part of the bride. Because what can a father give a son that has everything but a bride? And the bride is going to know Jesus and reflect Jesus and will rule and reign with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just go to heaven. I want to be a part of the bride of Christ. Then you've got the lampstands. Everybody say the lampstands. These are the seven spirits of God. If you don't know what the seven spirits of God, you pray them right here. Everybody say wisdom, wisdom. Understanding, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord, holiness. How many of you need wisdom? How many of you need counsel? You think nothing to get on the phone and call your girlfriend for 90 minutes. She don't know what to do. Child, a man's going to be a man's going to be a man's going to be a man. She's giving you two snaps in a circle, an air grab. You, don't, you need counsel from the Holy Spirit. He is the wonderful counselor. Might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. When you pray and you spend time with Jesus, you're going to be so different that it's going to create a fear in you to not spend time with him. If you don't have a prayer life right now, you have no fear of God. And it's okay. I'm not condemning you. I'm trying to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to start praying and you're going to be so different that you're going to be scared to go to work without praying. You're going to be scared to make business or financial decisions and investments without spending time with Jesus. You're going to be nervous to just hire people without spending time with Jesus because you're going to be so different. And that is how you develop a fear of God. And that is the beginning of wisdom. And then you go to the table of showbread, which represents the 7,000 promises of God, the word of God. You go to the altar of incense. I'm out of time. You go to the altar of incense, which represents, which represents worship. And then you go to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the holies of holies. This is where you make your requests known to God. And I'm going to take you over several weeks and talk to you about every one of those steps in more detail. But the Ark of the Covenant was small. It was only two feet by four feet. But the brazen altar was three times larger than that. You know why? Because your sacrifice should be way bigger than your requests. Some of you, your whole prayer life is your request. And nothing on the altar. So you say, Lord, my life is on your altar. And this is why this is important. Play that little video of me and Alexander. I'll leave you with this. This is 10 years ago. He's eight years old. And I caught him up on stage and I had that baton in my hand. And I gave the illustration of Pastor Reinhardt Bonnke, who's gone on to be with the Lord. And Pastor Reinhardt said, if all of the saints of the ages 
could say one thing to us, if God would let all of the saints who are in heaven speak one thing to us, what would they say? And he said, I believe they would say, you must run faster. And we would say, why should we run faster than you? Why should we try harder than you? Paul and Moses, all these great men of God, Catherine Cole, all these great men of God and women of God who have gone before, why should we try harder than you tried? Why should we push harder than you push? Why should we pray harder than you? And this is what he thought they would say. He said, I believe they would say, because this is the last lap. The finish line is in sight. Jesus is coming soon. And like any relay team, the anchor man, the last one, is the fastest on the team. The last one is the strongest on the team is the most equipped. You're the anchor generation. Young people, you are the generation that will live to see the coming of the Lord. You have to run faster. You have to pray more than past generations. You have to fast more than past generations. You have to do more than mom and dad did for Jesus because you're the last generation that will live to see the coming of the Lord. And this prayer is a baton. This prophetic word that we're giving out on Father's Day is a baton. And to run like Paul, not one that beats the air, but run to obtain the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. So take this journey with me. Do not be stubborn. Some of you may be resistant. Paige had told me, John and Paige, I, I shared this with them months ago, and they, they've been doing this, it's changed their life. And Paige came to me the other week, she said, I had a vision of you. And she said, in the vision, you were, we, there was like hundreds of us on the side of this river. And she said, you jumped in the river. You just jumped in. And she said, when I saw you jump in, I just jumped in. <laughs> and then she said, I saw a lot of people jump in, but there was a lot of people that weren't. My prayer for all of us is that we would jump in. I am only trying to get you closer to Jesus. That's our heart's desire. And I'm going to take our leaders through this tonight at 430. I'm going to spend about an hour taking them a little deeper. If you want to come, you can come. I'm letting anybody come. If you're like, if, you, if God's been speaking to you about getting into leadership, and you're like, I feel like God's called me to more ministry, you can show up but I'm gonna take our leaders through this a little deeper, but I'm gonna take the next several weeks and I'm gonna teach you through this. But take this journey with me. I had to rearrange my life. I had to get up early, um, I had to go to, which meant I had to go to bed early. So my whole family, our whole family had to change. Our whole kid's schedule, had, how we did everything had to change. But as for me and my house, you do what you want in your house. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I know some people may not like this, but listen to me. And I know everything I've done today goes against church growth strategy. I know it. Like, I'm not an idiot, okay? But I don't think people in church should be determining what they eat. My mama had 
three kids and she said, if I cook this food, I don't know, maybe y'all had a different mama. And she went to you and said, what do you want today? What do you want today? My mama said, if I cook this, you gonna eat it. That's why they don't ask me what I wanna do when I go to the gym. Because what do I wanna do? I wanna sit down. I want a smoothie. So they don't ask me. They just tell me what to do. And I think in church, we've gotten into this what we want more than what he wants. Did you get something out of this today? Are you with me? Hey, if this sermon blessed you and your family, I wanna encourage you to be a truth partner. You can do that by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give and partnering with us to help get this message of truth out to more people in our nation and around the world. It is our truth partners that make this a reality. Again, thank you for subscribing to our channel. Thank you for liking today's video. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon.